why do Olympians make such good contestants on dancing shows? This week, the Olympic Channel podcast grabbed a backstage pass for Dancing with the Stars and we spent a bit of time with Olympians like Adam Rippon. I think it's the hard work. I think it's the determination. And then when you do an interview, just say whatever's on your mind. <laughs> and Tonya Harding. It feels like I was a princess. Plus, we get dance sport legend Peter Maxwell to give us the lowdown on what judges look out for. My name is Ed Knowles and this is the Olympic Channel podcast. Each week we take a topic and get some Olympic people to talk about it. Because, well, why not learn from the very best? We want to help you think just like an Olympian. This week, we are looking to find out why Olympians always do so well on shows like Dancing with the Stars. The first episode of the most recent season went out in the US already, and we actually managed to blag a reporter into the mix backstage, Benjamin Moa. Benjamin also secured a quick word with the contestants after their first big performance. So, let's get on with it. Luja Chris Master was paired with pro dancer Whitney Carson, and he kicked off the new season with a salsa. The Olympic silver medalist had his shirt completely unbuttoned naturally and the judges were pretty complimentary after with legend Len Goodman saying the words terrific. Bruno Tonioli looked pretty excited by the whole thing, even by his standards. He decided to join in proceedings by ripping off his shirt as well. Anyway, Ben wanted to know what Olympic skills Chris brought to the dance floor. Here's the man himself, plus his dance partner Whitney. I think competing under pressure, especially the Olympics, happens once every four years. So that moment on that stage is just, it's an all or nothing moment. So the focus, the strategy behind getting ready for that definitely carries over to the dance floor. But I'll tell you what, like most difficult thing about dancing with the stars is the two and a half week time frame. So you don't have a lot of time to learn the material and perfect it. Obviously, your Olympics, you give your entire life. Like that is your childhood dream the entire way through. 21 years comes down to one. One shot. So that type of pressure is definitely, I feel like, a little more than Dancing with the Stars. The problem with Dancing with the Stars is such limited time. Like, we only have a week. We're going to have one week to get two routines down, which is a totally different pressure. You also need a really good coach for the Olympics. I've got one right here. <laughs> he did really, really well. I was really impressed with him. I'm so proud of him. We worked super hard every single day to make sure that we had the best routine possible, and he totally nailed it. So I literally couldn't ask for anything more. So I'm super proud. And if you head over to olympicchannel.com, you can see Chris Madster not only doing the luge, you can catch up with that, but also going sledging with one of our reporters in Pyeongchang. Very funny. You should check it out. So let's get into the figure skaters. Adam Rippon took bronze in Pyeongchang 2018. He is America's first openly gay Winter Olympian to come home with an Olympic medal. And, well, he absolutely tore it up when doing a cha-cha-cha to Sissy That Walk by RuPaul with his dance partner, Jenna Johnson. He got three eights from the judges, which isn't bad. Here he is with Jenna after the show, where Benjamin asked how he planned to charm the audience in this new challenge all down to going out under the dance floor, having really great performances, and then when you do an interview, just say whatever's on your mind. What qualities about being an Olympic athlete help you to compete on this stage? Oh, I think it's the hard work, I think it's the determination, and I think it's the will to learn and better yourself every time you go into the gym, onto the ice, or into the dance studio. Your synchronization was amazing. What surprised you most about Adam? 
You know, tonight I was, I knew that he was a performer, but when we took the stage for the live show, I had never experienced his energy come out like that. It was insane, and so I can't wait to do it again. I, like, want to do it tomorrow. Maybe not tomorrow, but yeah. the next week. But, yeah, his energy and just performance quality is beautiful, and it's so fun to do it together. It's so nice. Mirai Nagasu was another bronze medalist from Pyeongchang. She was also the first American to land a triple axel at the Olympic Games. She also served up some salsa for her first performance with pro Alan Burston. Len Goodman alluded that there was maybe just one too many tricks, but Nagasu wasn't bothered. She is preparing to bring it full on for the full four-week run. The judges were like, that was too many tricks, and I was like, girl, get ready, because they're all coming out next week. How does the pressure of Dancing with the Stars compare to the pressure of being in the Olympics on that ice? You know what? We trained for the Olympics our whole lives. Um, this is a two-week process, and so I have to think more, but um, it's been an amazing journey for both, and I love that I'm here and I'm enjoying every moment with Alan. This didn't come easy to her, and she really worked very hard. You know, there's a, there's an expectation that figure skaters have on our show, of that they're the best, and they're, it's so easy to them, but Mariah works so hard, and the biggest reward is to see the smile on her face. Thank you. Now, Tonya Harding was the first American to land a triple axel in competition. Her controversial life story was brought to the screen in an Oscar-nominated movie called I, Tonya. It signalled a reassessment of the two-time Olympian's life. She's banned from figure skating competitively, but she's been invited on this show, Dancing with the Stars. After finishing her foxtrot, she looked just visibly emotional, and her partner, Sasha Farber, has been impressed with her skills. Her ability to learn and her ability to want to improve and you know she's got a lot riding on this and I think you know she had something taken away from her and you know fair enough fair I think now it's the, it's her chance to you know come back and do this one more time and show America that she can do this you know it, it's been so many years that she she can't she hasn't performed and now this is it this is the new ice. What does it feel like performing on this national spotlight under this pressure? Um, it feels like I was a princess. I got to go out and show the world that I can be graceful and that I deserve to be here with the other Olympians and great athletes of this country. Big thanks to Benjamin for bagging all of those interviews and Yvette Michael for setting them all up. So I feel like there we got a good overview of what Olympians think they bring to dancing, but what about a real pro? Peter Maxwell is a good friend of Dancing with the Stars and Strictly Come Dancing judging legend Len Goodman. Mr Maxwell has judged hundreds of competitions and now is an honorary advisor at the World Dance Sport Federation. He's been a world champion and a coach as well. But what I wanted to know is what makes a good judge. So I called up Peter for a quick lesson. I would say the most important thing is the quality of the coordination of the dancer and the couple. If you see a routine where 90% of it is danced without touching each other, then there's a message there, which is that, you know, the whole foundation again of dance sports, two people dancing together, is that there is contact. And the easiest way out of the problem of that is simply don't touch. 
But I mean, the fun bit really is the, the subjective things, isn't it? Surely, you know, that's where you can really have that's that's the expressive bit of judging. Surely, what what are the sort of things we can have an opinion on at home? Everyone knows what's good coordination and not. If you see someone limping, you know uh, something's wrong with them. If it looks strange, it probably is. Uh, and by the same measure, uh, when you see someone simply moving beautifully. It's quite easy to identify. I'm always smiling, and it's a it's a blessing and a curse. Um, but for dancers, how kind of important is it to have a winning smile? It's terribly important. It's like any performance. I guess in many other sports, it's, it's not so important. It's more about what you're doing rather than the way you do it and the way you show it. So I don't think Usain Bolt uh, needed to smile all the way through the race to impress anybody. It's also a question of what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Uh, Do you have something wonderful to say with your body, which gives you a great deal of pleasure, which comes out? Or do you do something with your body which makes you feel good? When you see that real, genuine pleasure of, of the activity, it sort of beams out of people uh, in a very genuine way. If they're not enjoying it, acting is always a good idea. <laughs> what makes it so fun to watch, though, on the television is that they're pretty, they're pretty much beginners. So you can put yourself in, in their shoes in some ways. I mean, what are the most common mistakes that you see in a beginner um, and, and how can people eradicate them? Well, again, I think we've got to make a distinction between people who are just doing it for fun. It's difficult to say what mistakes are because if people are dancing and having fun, that's all we need uh, now. Uh, When it comes to dance sports, the most important thing is to get clear and consistent training uh, on one line. It's very easy to get uh, uh, deviated to different specialists because that seems important. But in the beginning, what's really important is just to get a great foundation in one direction. Uh, So, you know, if anyone's thinking of taking up uh, competitive uh, activity, find a good teacher, stick with it. So the television programs really are a bit of a uh, hybrid because, yes, they are beginners in the terms that they haven't really done dance sports before. Uh, but at the same time, you don't expect them to have great technical or stylistic skills because uh, it takes years and years and years. I mean, they're never going to be able to do that. So to judge them on that would be a little bit unfair, seeing as why uh, athletes, and especially Olympians, do so well is because uh, they might be technically terrible uh, and probably are to be honest, Uh, but they have good bodies. They stand up, look good before they begin. And as I said, they can usually move effectively. And so they have a very big advantage, uh, as do those others who have had some form of dance training. I mean, Olympians in particular seem to be a good fit for dancing contests you've hinted there that it's because they've got a bit of a control over their body but also is there a mental aspect of performance that they've got uh, that they've got there as well oh absolutely i mean uh, you know I, most of them 
uh, are for sure uh, with a competitive attitude are in it to win it, uh, which, again, uh, if you come from other, uh, let's say, non-competitive activities you're not particularly used to. The other advantage Olympians certainly have is they're used to dancing, uh, to dancing, <laughs> used to performing in public before a live audience and with pressure and with live TV, uh, which again, uh, people who come from other types of activities, even people who are television stars, uh, don't necessarily have that experience. Um, so uh, yeah, the Olympians come armed with uh, an awful lot of skills and experience which others may not have. So. Put your coaching hat on now for me, Peter, if you could. And if you could just say, what would be your one bit of advice for someone who's about to perform on that big stage? Millions of people watching at home, loads of people there in attendance. What would be the, the, the single piece of advice you would give to a person? Stand up, look good. <laughs> Very simple. And the moment, you become, the moment you become obsessed with where your feet are going or, uh, you know, by the time you come to the performance, too late. You have to just uh, concentrate on. But if you can stand up and look good through the entire dance, you're going to be quite successful. <laughs> and uh, finally, just talking about the Olympic Games, how proud would you be if you would one day see dance sport at the Olympic Games? There is already a sort of a precursor to that, in fact, which is the Youth Olympic Games in August. One branch of WDSF will be competing for the first time with breaking. Uh, you don't say breaking anymore, it's breaking. I, if that is successful, I think that definitely will help in persuading uh, the IOC to accept uh, dance sport because there is so much evidence now about the physical and mental uh, strength the, the, the uh, athletes need that it, that it does deserve a place uh, as a medal sport Thanks to Peter there and also to Roland Hilfiker So if you loved all our dancing chat this week then maybe you'll like our original series The Global Games it's a game show where social media influencers get their chance to take on Olympians in some brand new sports like olive oil water polo. Here's the trailer. Game time, homie. Welcome to Global Games, where real Olympians battle it out with social influencers in games that we invented. The competitor with the highest medal count at the end of the eight challenges will take home the gold and the bragging rights as the ultimate athlete. We're going to finish this thing. You guys look a little bit nervous out there. You know how we do, my friend. Who will win? An Olympian or a social influence? The second season is all over the website now. Just throwing global games into a search engine and it should come up for you. If you were listening last week, you might remember that I said I was going on a bit of a bike ride with a couple of Olympians. I was lucky enough to tackle about 12 kilometres in Lausanne in Switzerland with Kiwi rower Emma Twig and her tatlete Rebecca Wardle. 
they were fast. Faster than I expected. I'm not much of a cyclist. I do a bit of spinning and running and stuff. And the route itself wasn't too bad, really. A few climbs, rolling hills. But it was the pace that I couldn't handle far too fast. The pair, along with their friend Sarah van Bellacom, are cycling across the world. Rebecca is aiming to get all the way from Switzerland back to New Zealand. And the aim on the big trip is to meet up with as many Olympians as possible. Emma is also looking to do a bit of rowing training on the way because she's out of retirement and is aiming for Tokyo 2020. She came fourth in 2012 and 2016, so there's some unfinished business for her. And I had a really, really good chat with Emma on a really sunny day in Lausanne. I got sunburned. Sorry, Mum. Anyway, that chat was really good and it will be in a podcast soon, so look out for that one. And with the Diamond League, I think we should get a little old school athletics action for the podcast shout out of the week. There's a great episode of the BBC series Desert Island Discs. I mean, pretty much all of them are good, but there's one in particular with Michael Johnson, the sprint legend. He has an excellent taste in music and is really frank and honest in that interview. We have actually got an interview with a sprint legend ourselves. More on that when I can tell you. Any shout outs, then get in touch with us. Remember, you can follow Olympic Channel on all social platforms, Insta, Facebook, Twitter. Olympic Channel is our handle on all of them. Podcast wise, give us a five star review if you can, wherever you can. If you've managed to find us and you can leave a review, it'd be very nice if you could leave us a nice one. Thanks this week to Fiona Shadbolt for helping setting up for a hand in, well, all of this week's interviews. Plus Alberto again for recording that phone interview too. That is it for now. Until next time.